Welcome, Rhonda, to In the Pews. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming all this distance. I understand you're from the east side of town. Yes. So you, you travel quite a distance out here to, to Fulshear. Our, I have a friend who lives near downtown and he calls this West San Antonio or yep. East San Antonio, excuse me. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty good distance, but it was it was worth the drive. So I'm glad to be out here. I've, I've always wanted to come out here in, with my work, but... So this is my first visit out here to St. Faustina. Let me take a stab at your last name. Okay. Sepulveda? Very good. Okay. Yes. Perfect. Okay. I, Herm, Herm kind of helped me out with uh. that earlier. <laughs> Apparently there's a street in California yes. with, by that name. Have you been there? Yes, I have. Oh, and it's cool. the largest boulevard in California. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, there you go. So I'm sure you took some, took some pictures by the sign. Oh, yeah. And then people <laughs> when people go to L.A., they always send it to me. They're like, hey, you're here. I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> but, you work with Catholic Charities here in Houston. I do work with Catholic Charities. Yeah. What do you do there? I am the Parish and Government Relations Coordinator. Okay. So what, what is exactly does that mean? Well, like in a nutshell, it yes. means I get to work with priests and politicians. But basically, mm. I uh, work, and people ask me, they're like, well, who's easier to work with? I'm like, they're both, they're people. <laughs> <laughs> they're people. And they're people that have been called to service. Uh -huh. And so I have the opportunity to be the liaison between our, um, our government officials and Catholic charities and our parishes and Catholic charities. So then that way... There's an avenue for them to have more information about what we do and how we serve the community. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a two-way street because sometimes there'll be legislation that's that is uh, that would affect some of our programs. And so we get to have that one on one with the legislators and say, you know, there is a bill that uh, that requires some attention. And or a letter of support mm -hmm. uh, with our legislators and with our parishes, we have those are our natural satellites for the work that we do. And so, uh, whenever we can have engagement, or if they need to expedite some a, par a parishioner who might need one of our services, then I'm the person that they get to call. I kind of imagine it to be like a, like an episode of The West Wing, where you're making a lot of calls and and, and dealings and stuff like that. Is that is that how it goes? Or? Uh, yeah. Sometimes. 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 <laughs> sometimes. And sometimes it's just a quick email mm -hmm. and then we'll go back and forth and then we we get it resolved as quickly as possible. That's good. And so we do stay in the middle. There is it's very nonpartisan uh, about what we do because we do work with all of our legislators. So did you grow up here in Houston? I'm a native Houstonian. Oh, where yeah. did you grow up? What part of town? I grew up actually in the neighborhood, in the area that I live in now. So I grew up in Magnolia Park. Okay. And then I grew up in Second Ward, which has now been lovingly renamed as Edo. Edo, yes. But it's still, to me, Second Ward. <laughs> <laughs> so I live in Second Ward, so I'm close to the University of Houston Central and uh, not very far from our Midtown office. Now, did you grow up Catholic? Well. <laughs> that was a, a complicated question. Yeah, it's a complicated <laughs> question. So, um, so yes and no. Yes and no. So I uh, I was born in 1964. So I was born just pre pre Vatican II. Right there on the yeah, cusp. Yeah, right there at the cusp. And my grandparents were um, were very devoted Catholics. They worked. They did a lot of volunteer work at Our Lady Guadalupe. Mm -hmm. And something shifted. 
something shifted with them in terms of faith and uh, and in our family life, in our full family life. And they they became very evangelical. They would they started going to a Pentecostal church. Um, and uh, so but I was baptized at Christ the King. And um, so we were raised by our grandparents in a period where other kids were not being raised by our grandparents. Mm. And so we would go to church. And it was full the full Pentecostal experience with the tambourine and the speaking in tongues and uh-huh. all of that. So you were baptized Catholic, but yes. you were raised Pentecostal. Raised Pentecostal. Uh-huh. But in the summer, there was vacation Bible school at the church that was two blocks away. It was Park Memorial Baptist Church. The building is no longer there, but that's where I learned about Scripture and learned about all these aspects of our Old Testament and New Testament. So so the the learning experience of our faith, our our Christian faith uh-huh. was there. The book knowledge. The book knowledge. Uh-huh. So it went from here to here. Okay. Until one day my uncle who lived with still lived at home. Um he stayed Catholic. Uh-huh. And he says, Miha, do you want to go with me to church? And I said, Okay. We walked. Sorry, I get I still get emotional. Oh. I was probably about seven. We walked into Immaculate Conception Catholic uh-huh. Church on Harrisburg. And uh he wanted to go early because and they were praying the rosary. I'd never heard the rosary prayed. And it was this there was a this Beautiful peace that was so enveloping. I am now, I'm going to be 59 in a couple of weeks. How birth, old were you when that happened? That, I was seven. And you can still remember it still that well. I still remember it that, that well. That's how moving it was, huh? Yes. And, um, and so then I sat there and I listened and I learned the Hail Mary in that moment. <laughs> because, you know, when you're a kid, your brain is just like, you know, absorbs everything. Yeah, you're a sponge. And so then my grandmother, she would go to church on Wednesday. She goes, get ready. We're going to go to church. And I was like, I don't want to go. And she goes, why not? I said, I want to go to church with Bob, with my Uncle Bobbly. And she goes, she says, no, you're going to get ready and go with us to church. And so mm. I continued with the practice. But uh-huh. my faith was Catholic, and I knew that. So when so when when I started when I finished the elementary school back then was kindergarten to sixth grade, seventh grade to ninth grade was junior high, uh-huh. and then tenth uh, grade to senior year was high school. So that was the structure. So when I finished the elementary school period, all of my friends we were all honor roll kids. Uh And so we were going to go to the next feeder school, which was the junior high. Mm -hmm. And they said, you're not going to go to the junior high. You're going to go to a Catholic school. Who made that decision? My grandparents. Is it because they saw that you really wanted to? No. Or they just wanted you in a private school? They just wanted me in a private school. They thought the school was going to be a bad school. The funny thing is, is that all of my friends are all attorneys. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, and one of them works for the archdiocese. 
But um, but anyhow, so then that was um, it was kind of an interesting experience because you're I'm going into the school at the seventh grade, so there's so then that is grammar school, so it goes to eighth grade, uh-huh. and uh, and so then I had the two years there, and in those two years I got to be in I got to be Catholic, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and so then, and then I went to Incarnate Word for a year, and then went to public school thereafter. Uh, but then I started going to Immaculate Heart of Mary with my friends who were we were in high school together, and you know, and then it just became part of who I was. So that that experience yeah. solidified it. Yes. You had that seed from that rosary that you, and that was just that one time. Yeah. And then finally, that was it. That was it. Was it. permanent. It was permanent. It became permanent, and uh, and so then you know I I was Catholic. Did you have any resistance just, from your grandparents? No, no, they didn't. They they didn't resist. They still they continued with their faith. Uh-huh. We'd you know they turn on Billy Graham and we had all of that, mm-hmm. and they'd have uh, they'd host Bible studies in the in our home, and so it still gave me this. Uh, this layered Christian heritage. Mm, yes, because you see different sides yeah. of, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so what am I going to do with this? And so I was Catholic, but I still had this, this bab- I have Baptist in me, I have Pentecost in me, I have uh-huh. those church hymns in me, I have all of that. But then the Holy Spirit is so incredibly rich in the faith that I get to practice today that when I tell people it's kind of and then I get to work it and at with faith in action mm-hmm. at Catholic charities. So it resonates everywhere. Did you at any point think of entering any type of religious life? I didn't. That was, you know, it, you kind of get a hint of it. Uh-huh. But I was like, maybe that is not going to be my vocation. Mm-hmm. So my vocation ended up being a wife, a mom, uh, now a grandmother, uh-huh. um, and then and then in your work, and then in my work. So I get the full experience, and then as a CCE teacher at uh, St. Francis Cabrini. So you said that a lot of your classmates, your friends, became lawyers. Was that something that you thought of? I did, I did. But once I became a mom, that was my that was my job. (laughs) Did you study here in Houston as well? I did, I did. Where did you go to college? I didn't go to college. Okay. Yeah. No, I didn't go to college. I uh, I went to. I started working right after high school. Okay. And uh, I was an aerobics instructor. Oh. And so <laughs> for a very short period of time. Uh-huh. And so uh, my aunt had a small business and she had two children with disabilities. And mm-hmm. so I would help her. And, um, and so then she, one day she says, I have to run errands. I need you to answer the phone for me. And uh, and she was also taking care of a senior who she was fostering, actually. And uh, and so then a gentleman called, and he says, I need to speak with Deborah. I said, well, she's not available right now. Can I take a message? And I took the message, and and then we hung up. So this gentleman calls back, and he says, 
who am I speaking with and do you need a job? And I said, Wow. Uh, That's just I random. Said, I said, "That's." <laughs> I said, "Excuse me, but who am I speaking with?" He says, "My name is Raúl de los Santos. I work with Catholic Charities. Uh-huh. I'm the director of our senior services program, and we need. We're looking for a receptionist, and you have, you have very nice uh, communication skills. Just oh, wow. based on that, just that moment. Yeah, and uh, and that was transformative." I did not realize until later how transformative that moment was yeah. because I'm just, you know, just this 18-year-old kid just taking, helping take care of my little cousin. Just answering the phone and one time and that domino just spread. Wow. Yeah. That yeah. one moment. Imagine one if you moment. had answered the phone differently. Uh-huh. The, the course that your life would have taken would have been completely different. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. And so I went in the next day. I uh, had an interview and uh, and then they said, okay, you're hired. And back then, it, Catholic Charities was very different. We only had 32 people on staff. And uh, so whenever a little kid would call it, can I talk to my mom? I'd say, <laughs> I knew which little voice belonged to what mom. <laughs> That's fantastic. And, uh, and so we had some incredible people who kind of took me under their wings and showed me what the richness of being Catholic Social Teachings Incarnate at Catholic Charities looked like. Mm. I did not know that that was what it was. Uh-huh. It was just, it was a job. And I was learning about, because the um, we had just started the um, refugee resettlement program a few years earlier. Mm. So I never experienced Vietnamese food. Uh-huh. And so... So the Vietnamese, uh, the director was Pauline Van Tho, and there were only five staff. Today we have about 200 in that department. What year was this? That was 1985. So I started July 1st, 1985. Okay. And I stayed in that role for eight years. And I was like, I need to grow. And so I left there, and I worked for a judge for a short period of time, mm-hmm. then worked for um, for a radiologist for a short time after that. And and then, you know, I was a stay-at-home mom for a period. Mm-hmm. But And then that was a whole other experience. And um, yeah, That's a full-time job. Oh, it was a full-time you job. You told me earlier, three boys? Three boys. Oh, and boy. <laughs> they are all two years apart. Ooh. Uh, one of them is uh, he builds, you know, those big giant generators that, that run hospitals uh-huh. and offshore rigs? Yeah. He builds those. Wow. And so he leads a team that builds those. I have one. Uh, my middle son is, uh, he works on those same types of units. And he, but he's in Odessa, and then my youngest son has been in the Navy, serving ten years in the Navy as an aviation's ordnance man. And so they're mm. never in the same town at the same time oh, until okay. recently. So that was oh, that's nice. That was a wonderful experience, and <laughs> and so, uh, but yeah, it's but yeah that 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 road starting at Catholic Charities as a, the first my first real job. Mm-hmm. And so uh, after being a stay-at-home mom for a number of years, um, and then they went to a Montessori school, and so I volunteered there and got some of that experience. Mm-hmm. So the aunt who I took care of, her children, 
and I got that phone call. Uh-huh. Um, she said she was working for or for a, a city council member. She was a scheduler. And she said, there's this lady who needs an assistant. And I was like, okay. I said, she goes, she needs someone who knows how to write and, you know, who can be in, you know, with her in, in the public. So this woman hired me. Her name was Mary Hammer. And she was a force. And I'd mm. never experienced anybody like that. <laughs> she was an incredible force. And so she would take me with her. I got to shadow her in the period that I worked with her. She taught me all about city and county government. Oh, she really took you under yes. her wing. Oh, wow. And so in the private sector, and I was going to these events and these luncheons and these parties, but I was volunteering with Catholic Charities uh-huh. in the in those eight years that I was I was separated, you know, from the time I separated from them voluntarily uh-huh. to uh, for you know just that period. That must have been an experience. I mean, because when you meet yeah. somebody like that, it's one thing, but when they take you under their wing, exactly, that's something else. Yeah. Wow. And so one day I called Catholic Charities and to talk to one of my former colleagues, who was also the godmother to my middle son Corbin, uh, and she said. Um, her name was Esmeralda, and she uh, she says she said uh, I need you to talk to Michelle, and Michelle was the receptionist at that time. She's going to be she's uh, getting a promotion, and uh, we need to fill that role. I said to do what, and they said to be the receptionist, and I said, but that's the role that I left. <laughs> <laughs> And so she says, well, just think about it. Uh-huh. And so then I called Esmeralda again for something else, for another volunteer opportunity. Uh-huh. And uh, Michelle answered the front desk phone. I love when people answer the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, Rhonda, are you coming back? And I said, "To I said, seriously? She goes, yeah. She goes, so anyhow, so... I went to, and I ultimately went to an interview very reluctantly because I was so enjoying the work that I was doing. And you'd outgrown the the outgrown receptionist role. role. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, I said, that's how would that look on a resume? Yeah, going back. Yeah, yeah. And so then um, I went back to my office after that volunteer opportunity, and I was like, wow. I said, what would it look like to go back to Catholic Charities? And so I prayed about it. I mean, I really dove into prayer about it because I was like, this is, this would look so backwards. Yes. So. But did you feel something calling you to it? I did. Oh. I did. So that's why you had to pray on it. Okay. That's why I had to pray on it. So the person who was doing the hiring, she was the hiring manager. And she goes, just come and talk to me for just 20 minutes. Mm. And I said, okay. Well, that 20 minutes turned into two hours. <laughs> and God said, I could just feel it, just that Holy Spirit tug whenever you're called to a ministry. Uh-huh. That Holy Spirit tug was strong. And I said, okay, Lord, I will obey. So I went back into that role as wow. a receptionist. Was it difficult? 
No, actually, it was and it wasn't because the people who were at the desk at uh-huh. that time were like, oh, you got this. Yeah. You've done this before. Yeah. But systems, you know, those phone systems had changed and gotten upgrade, more. Yeah. Oh, goodness, yes. <laughs> they they had gotten fancier uh-huh. <laughs> than when I left. And, uh, and so then I was like, okay, so I made the adjustment. And uh, then there was a board meeting. And so some of the board members, I recognize them from my previous role. And uh, the Secretary of Social Concerns back then was came to the desk. She was signing in. She goes, Rhonda, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm the receptionist. And I was so happy to be in that role. So happy. Mm. I was very content in that in that role. She goes, oh, okay. So three weeks later, this is the funny... Funny way how God works, right? Three weeks later, the CFO said, I need an assistant. And I said, but I just got here. Uh-huh. He says, I'm the CFO. <laughs> he was CFO, COO. Um, uh-huh. So I worked for him. Um, I had uh, four bosses at that time. He was the CFO, COO, the vice president of programs, the uh, director of Community equality uh, and compliance, uh-huh. and then a, and so then that a was woman. a job. Yeah, that was a really busy job, huh? And then <sighs> one person who would do external trainings for other professionals uh-huh. who were in the social work field. So that was uh, that's that crazy. Was wonderful. That's crazy. Like how <sighs> if you had not taken that that receptionist job, it wouldn't have led to. Bigger things, mm-hmm. wow! Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I would, I would think a lot of people wouldn't even have considered it. I'm not going back to my old oh, yeah. job. I've outgrown it. No, yeah. but yeah. you prayed on it and you felt it was right for you, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you just left yourself open to. You said the Holy Spirit was pulling you there, and you, wow, yeah. wow, you surrendered to it. That's fantastic. I did. I did. So then my uh, my CFO said, he goes, Rhonda, um, can you come in my office? I said, yes, sir. I said, I'll be right there. So I went into his office. He goes, close the door. I need to talk to you. I said, okay. I said, what happened? And what, he did goes, I do? <laughs> what did I do? What did I do? What did I do this time? Uh, so uh, he said, uh, he says, Joe Rubio was going to need uh, an assistant. His his assistant had just exited the, the agency and... Um, you're going to be working for him as of this afternoon. I said, that quick? And he said, yeah. So uh, so I went into, he was then Joe Rubio, then he was in formation, and he became Deacon Joe Rubio. Mm. And Deacon Joe Rubio was not only Deacon Joe Rubio, but he was also a PhD in education. Mm. And he was a... Uh, he was very academic. And any he was one of those people that anytime there was there were people in the room, everyone would stop to listen to Deacon Joe. He had this great sense of humor. He was a true shepherd of the church. Um I there's a language that's spoken in our church. And there is Catholic social teachings, there's faith in action, there's 
all of these things that are identifiers that are foundational to our church, I did not know the language. Mm. It's English, uh-huh. but I did not know the language of Catholic social teachings. And through his leadership, I learned. Wow. I got to work for him for 12 years. That's fantastic. So let me tell you what his role was. He was the vice president of government relations with Catholic Charities. Mm. So what I was doing in the private sector Uh and all that Mary taught me was paving that way because God knew. Yeah. I trust that God knew what he had in store for me, for what I get to do today. That's fantastic. For what I get to do today. That all prepared you for that. It's all like of it. It, it, it was better than a college education in some ways because it's it, yeah. you're you're taken under the wing of these great yes. people who wow. So wow. I had so this was our team. This was oh. this incredible team. It was Deacon Joe Rubio. It was Esmeralda Cervantes who started our family services program. Um, she did our uh, parasocial ministry certificate program. She worked with the University of St. Thomas. We also had Jennifer Carr Allman, who is the, um, the, the executive director, who is now the executive director of the Texas Catholic Conference of Bishops. Mm. Those were my professors. Wow. Those wow. were my—maybe I didn't get to go to college, but that was such— a rich period. Yeah, you're working with these giants. Oh. <laughs> wow. Incredible. Wow. What an incredible gift that this career has been for me to be able to not only exercise my faith, um, my personal faith, my Christian faith, my Catholic faith, but also to be able to share this information with our staff. So mm-hmm. when our when we got the we have this we had this new president, um, but she's been with us ten years now. Cynthia Colbert, she's a remarkable leader, um, a woman who is who is everything is faith is her cornerstone, but she's so engaging, and uh, so then she we had our vision statement is people of faith helping people in need. Achieve self-sufficiency. That was what it was when she started. And then she said, but our first, the first tenet of our Catholic social teachings is the life and dignity of the human person. So why not tag that to our vision statement? Uh So our vision statement now reads, people of faith, helping people in need achieve self-sufficiency and live with dignity. Mm, Yes. Because every person, whether that person is is in the womb, that's a whole person. Yes. Or whether that person is an immigrant or whether that person is um, a new refugee to this country Mm -hmm. or whether that person needs counseling or they're a senior, they deserve, they inherently deserve to be treated with dignity. And we get to do that. We get to envelop all that from, from cradle to cradle to grave. That's fantastic. Yeah. So tell me about your job now. What do you do now exactly? 
So I get to work. You kind of touched up on it a little bit. Let's say, for instance, we'll get a phone call from um, one of the senator's offices. And they'll say, hey, we we have this bill that the senator or congressional leader is considering, but we want to let Catholic charities know what's going on. And so we get to have those conversations. Or a parish might call and say, we have a parishioner who um, who needs one of your services. Can you get us in touch with the right person? And we do that. That's a wide, it is wide. a wide array of things that you know. Yeah. Wow. But it is it is part of what we're called to do through the gospel, and so it seems it seems kind of complex, but it's really simple. Whenever you have those, you make those one-on-one relationships happen. It doesn't matter whether it's a parish in Friendswood, it's not Houston, or a parish in, in Galveston, mm-hmm. or Huntsville, or out here in Fulcher, mm-hmm. or in Katy. If we have those, we incorporate those and, and cultivate those relationships with our parish communities. We're still one body, one Christ, and we get to serve in that manner. So long as we can, we have those opportunities to cultivate those experiences. So, and then I'll see a priest. I saw Father Joe Doran at who's in Belleville, uh-huh. um, and he goes, Rhonda. He says, "Are we going to do the parish social ministry certificate program?" I'm like, "Yes, Father." He says, "Let me know." So we have that coming up. In what the fall. is that? What program is that? It's um, it's a parish social ministry certificate program. Is will be an opportunity for parishes and people of faith who want to learn more about what are the practical aspects of parish social ministry learning about the theology of parasocial ministry, mm-hmm. learning about Catholic social teachings, learning about advocacy, learning about um, how, do you, how do you cultivate a volunteer? How do you start a new ministry? And then having some of our seasoned parasocial ministers who've, who are doing great things at their parishes, mm-hmm. um, then talk about, you know, this is what we encounter. These are our challenges. These are the things that we are able to do to serve serve our parish communities. What is like the the most challenging part of your job? The most challenging part is sometimes feeling like, you know, do you ever feel like you you're not doing enough uh-huh. to serve to serve? <laughs> That's probably one of the most challenging. I I know that that sounds kind of like a like a fluff answer, but it's. Uh, but I'm really sincere about it. It's like, what else can we do to serve? Mm. So whenever we can even uh, engage with corporate folks. So um, oh, so re- corporations yeah, also. Corporations co- too, yeah. Uh-huh. Because we have volunteer services as well in on our team. So um, one of my friends in the community um she works for, she's one of the vice presidents at Chase Bank. And so she messaged me on Facebook. She goes, Hey, Rhonda, you work at Catholic Charities. We want to volunteer. I want to get our team to volunteer. I said, Well, come on over. I said, Let's talk. And so my director and I had a nice conversation with her and one of her, 
her peer leaders, and they just just Chase Bank recently volunteered with us last weekend. And so it's just, you know, we have a lot of corporate sponsors. And so we also want to engage with our our non-Catholic communities who are close to our parishes. You know, how can we be of great support? How can be we be that network of of faith and safety for for the people who are in our archdiocesan community? And then, how does the funding for your for Catholic charities works? Is it all donations? So we have grants. Uh-huh. Uh, we have government grants. We have private donors. We have DSF. So thank you to all those. (laughs) All the (laughs) second collections, yes. Yes, all those second collections. They do. They really do help. They really do help us to help others. And so that is part of our operating budget as well. Now, you said that it's a nonpartisan uh, thing that you you guys deal with. Mm -hmm. in the political landscape over the uh, last several years, it's 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 been a little, uh, you know, trying. Has has that been a challenge, you know, with, when you work with politicians? Yeah. Well, you know, they know that we stand in the middle. Uh-huh. They know that we're that we are nonpartisan, um, just by the pure aspect of the work. You know, we are here to serve, so we might get um, calls from either party. Mm-hmm. So we work with uh, both of our U.S. Uh, senators. So if I need to reach out to them, I'll just email and say, hey, you know, you have this going. So with with the last administration, so that's interesting that you should ask. During the last ad, uh, administration, there was a large reduction in the number of refugees that were going to be allowed into this country. Mm-hmm. Right now, I can't recall but it was an executive order so it's eo uh-huh. i want to say 880 i don't know it i kind of remember those numbers but uh-huh. can't recall it specifically at this moment and so we said this is going to impact the number of people that we're able to serve because yeah. he put that was considered a national um mandate or executive order. And uh, so we went to every county in the archdiocese, to every county, a letter to each county judge. Uh-huh. And so I got to drive around the archdiocese and go to the different mm. counties. Yeah. Um, and see which all we the different 10. communities. Yeah. So we have 10 counties in our archdiocesan community and take a letter stating, you know, that refugees do increase the economic fabric and the diversity of our archdiocesan community. So when, you know, they they were receptive. Um, Some of them perhaps not, Uh but that's what we get to do. We have those opportunities to advocate on behalf of the poor, the disenfranchised, and those who just literally and sometimes and figuratively live on the periphery of our society. Is it true? I've heard this saying that uh, you, um, the public wouldn't want to know how sausages and laws are made. That's <laughs> Is that so true? Yeah, that's that's something that Mark Twain said. Is that yeah. what Mark Twain said? That's okay. a Mark Twain quote, yeah. <laughs> but that's true. I mean, and then we have uh, every other year, so we just finished a legislative session 
So we just finished the Texas 88th legislative session. So we have the opportunity to work with uh, the Texas Catholic Conference of Bishops. We have 15 bishops in the Archdiocese, I mean, in our state. Mm -hmm. And so they come together, they put together an agenda, and then we we get to come together as Catholic communities from across the state Mm -hmm. and go to the Capitol, go and meet with our respective legislators, our state senators, our state representatives, and take the bishop's agenda to them, present it to them, and ask them, you know, for their support. And so we get to do that as well. That's fantastic. Yeah. Wow, be able to do something that important. Yeah. Wow. So sometimes you think about what would have happened if you answered the phone incorrectly that one time. <laughs> like, hey, hello, what's up? What are you? You know. <laughs> you know, the thing, the one, the one thing that I did learn. Um, Earlier in my career, when I first started with Catholic Charities, uh-huh. is that you never know who's going to be on the other end of the phone. Mm-hmm. You don't know. And so the first time that uh, Archbishop Fiorenza, he was in Bishop Fiorenza, mm-hmm. called, I was like, oh, it's the bishop. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know, but he was he was truly a social justice champion. So when I present on Catholic social teachings to our new employees, I keep uh-huh. a picture of him. Um, wow. Yeah, when he was meeting with with a local group who were a local group of um, janitors who were not being paid well, mm. so that dignity of work and the rights of workers, he's on that he's on that slide. Do you get those types of situations a lot? You know, um, whenever there is a situation, then they do call. They'll the they may call uh, me, or they might call Cynthia, our president, mm-hmm. first. We haven't had any anything like that more recently, but mm-hmm. thankfully, those, Th- thank God. Yeah. yeah. What what type of situation do does your office handle that people don't really know that much about? Like they don't realize they say, "Oh, I didn't know you guys did that." Uh, <laughs> well, so we help children, children and families. We help refugees and immigrants. Uh-huh. We help seniors and vulnerable populations. Like we had. So uh, let's see. And then those are the things that we do. Those are the buckets that we cover. Um, We have counseling. We have family and individual counseling. Mm -hmm. Um, Once upon a time, that's one of our uh, first programs. Our Blessed Beginnings is our charter program. So we've been serving moms and babies since 1943. Oh, so this is our 80th year. Oh. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. 80 years. mm Mm-hmm. And so whenever I tell people about our programs and when they started, uh-huh. we're, it was unpopular. Really? So what we do is that we we do what was what's most unpopular. In 1943, imagine a young woman who's pregnant and unwed. Mm. You know, yeah. social outcast, right? Yes. She's cast out of her family. But we get to care for her. We got to care for her. She had a baby. But it was also a social, I guess, uh, thing where it was not favorable for a family to not have a child. Mm -hmm. So if a couple gets married, well, why don't you have children? Yeah. And if maybe she could not have children, then we we had an adoption service back then. So after the fall of Saigon, how popular were we when we were caring for the Vietnamese and Cambodian communities? Mm, yes. But they've become such a beautiful and rich fabric to, yes. 
to our archdiocesan community, haven't they? Oh, just here, St. Faustina, yeah. Father Dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One of those refugees. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, and then in 1987, uh, we went over to the convent at with the Sisters of Charity and the Incarnate Word, and they told us, you know, the AIDS epidemic was prevalent. Mm. And... Uh, and so it was like, you know, you didn't even want to be in the room with somebody who you might have suspected. Oh, because people didn't know about, we didn't yeah. Know. No, we were just going through this media panic. Of, yeah, people were afraid yeah. of toilet seats and of swimming pools and Everything. and things like that, yeah. Yeah, even just the air, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know. But Catholic Charities cared for people who were affected by AIDS, HIV and AIDS. Mm -hmm. We prayed with them, we took care of them, and... For that population, they at the the first population of people who were affected with HIV and AIDS were probably kicked out of their families as well. Mm. And sometimes our case manager was the only person at their hospital bed or yeah. preparing for their funeral. Yeah, back then people thought it only affected gays. So yeah. so sometimes some of those people who caught it were were kicked out of their family. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's wow. Yeah. So, but wow. you know, but it's just meeting people where they are and caring for them in their most vulnerable yeah. part of their life, giving them compassion and hope and dignity and respect and saying, you know, this is your case and you have access to it. Mm -hmm. You have rights to it for the immigrant who, so I, I get to talk about St. Francis Cabrini mm -hmm. and I'm like, who knows? I'll ask uh, our new employees whenever we have a meeting, whenever we have their orientation. Who knows who Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is? And everybody raises their hand, uh -huh. right? Yes. Who knows who St. Francis Cabrini is? And they're like, and I say is, because the work that they did, the passion that they put into the rights that they they told others that they have, Continue today. It still lives, yes. The work it still, still lives. Yeah. lives. And so St. Francis Cabrini came reluctantly, right? She wanted to go to Asia to to take Jesus to Asia. Uh -huh. And Pope Leo said, Pope Leo XIII said, I'm sorry, Cabrini, but we need you to go to the Americas. And so my, uh, I'm a member of St. Francis Cabrini Catholic Church here in Houston, and uh, Father Frank, uh, Fabby, God rest his soul, um, would talk to us during his during her feast period, during her feast day, and tell us that his grandmother had a first encounter with her mm. in New Orleans, and the she said she was crying, and she didn't have shoes. She wanted to go to school. And she heard this voice say in Italian, little girl, why are you crying? And she said, I want to go to school. She Whoa. said she turned to her and she had these beautiful blue eyes. She pulled out a dime, said, here's, here's a dime. Go buy pencil and paper and stop crying. And, and so then from that, turned a whole tide. That's one family. Yeah. But think of all the families that were affected. Oh. Even one of our staff members. You're giving me goosebumps right now. <laughs> one of our staff members said he grew up in Chicago 
and he grew up in the projects, and his projects were called, still called Cabrini. He never knew who she was. Oh, wow. He just knew that that was a project that, that he lived name. in. Yeah, wow. He goes, wow. But she opened doors. She opened... People couldn't even... The Italian community could not even... Were not even welcomed into church. Wow. Into our faith. That's... Wow. And they were five families to one tenement. Uh-huh. There were so many... They couldn't get health care. And we were going through that industrialized period, right? Yeah. Where there was no worker justice either. She fought for all of those things to happen. She fought for people to get fed, to be cared for. And to have learned that they have rights. So, do you pray to Saint Francis Cabrini? I do. Yeah. I do. You ask for intercession a lot yes. with the work that you do. Yeah. On an everyday basis. Yeah. Wow. And, and to the Virgin of Guadalupe, may she always pray for us. <laughs> what is something that the you know a Catholic here in Houston doesn't know about you know uh, about Catholic charities? What is the most common thing that they don't know that you come across and they oh I didn't know this about Catholic charities? Or? That we, okay, so let me tell you what's more local because we're here at St. Faustina. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of our newer buildings is our Mamie George Community Center. And so it's just right out, right here in Richmond, Texas. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so Deacon Joe came over here and he met with some folks here in Fort Bend County. And we talked to the seniors, and we said, we need something here for seniors. Uh-huh. They didn't ask a board of directors, what can we build? We asked the seniors, what do you need? And they told us. And so we have this beautiful center where seniors can come together. Talk about once upon a time. There's a mm. grocery store there where they can shop with dignity mm. and receive food for their home. We have um, grandparents raising grandchildren at that center. Wow. They can exercise there. They can play chess. They can um, do Zumba together. Uh-huh. They have congregate meals that they serve. There's like this little little shop where you can buy little trinkets there. Uh but it's a place where, where the seniors have hope. And so we we get to do that there. And that is here in, you know, Fort Bend County. Yes. And wow. uh and then in Galveston, we have um a beacon of hope aisle market. And that's our that's our newest aisle market mm. where people in Galveston, we we go to Galveston and we think, oh, this is fun. Yes. You know, we go there. We might stay in an Airbnb. We might have this wonderful weekend there. Uh-huh. But there are people who are living in poverty in Galveston. Wow. Yeah. And so we get to, they get to shop with dignity. There's, it's like a grocery store. It's set up like a grocery store. And I think that people don't realize, one, how long we've been around. Because we were we were probably one of the best kept secrets, uh-huh. maybe because of populations that we we served and continue to serve today. Um, one of the, the marginalized, the ones. marginalized, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Now for the immigrant community, um, we have a um, Cabrini Center. So it was named after Saint Francis Cabrini, 
Previously, it was Texas Center for Immigrant Legal Assistance, mm-hmm. which the acronym for Texas Center for, of Immigrant Legal Assistance is TEQILA. And <laughs> so <laughs> let's, name, let's name it after the patroness of the immigrant, okay? So, yeah, not after TEQILA. <laughs> no, but it was, it, was, it was renowned. It has a great reputation. We have um, over 100, we think we have about 150 legal professionals, immigrant legal professionals who work in that program. Mm. Um, and so it's so that people have access to, because we have clergy who who have visas, right? So um, we have uh, people who, who do want to become part of, legally part of the fabric of our community mm-hmm. as well. So we get to help them with that. Wow. Yeah. So I can imagine that your office was quite busy during Hurricane Katrina, huh? Yeah, we were, we, re- we really were. Um, I was actually supporting three VPs at that time. Oh boy! <laughs> so I had uh, Deacon Joe, Deacon Joe Rubio, Bob Fleming, and Mickey Pierre, and uh, and so they uh, was they said we need you to be downstairs and take people's names and give them a number because we were our building was wrapped with people really every day wow. and it was still hot i mean houston's hot mm-hmm. like even in september uh so this was late august early september oh boy and uh and so then we were doing that and and then i was like but I'm just taking people's names and giving them a number and I just felt like I wasn't doing enough. You know, oh, I just yeah. felt like I don't know. And so I was kind it's of triage yeah. at that point, right? There's so many yeah. that you're wow. Yeah. And uh and so then I was not uh, I thought, oh, I'll just I wanna be a caseworker. Um, but God was like no better <laughs> <laughs> again, <laughs> uh-huh. and so uh, so then I'm venting to one of my colleagues and saying, you know, I wish that they would give me this opportunity to be a caseworker, and uh-huh. because I don't feel like I'm doing enough. Because you're so, looking at their faces and you're yeah. talking to them, and you and all you're doing is taking their name and exactly num- and giving them a number. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't feel like I was doing enough. So I'm in the car with my son, my oldest son, Chaz. And uh, and he's an audio learner. So he says, Mom, he goes, so what do you do now? And so I gave him the laundry list of, you know, he goes, what do you do for Mickey, Bob, and Joe? And so I gave him the laundry list of what an admin does. And so then he goes, and so he and my other sons uh, had come to, with me to work on that first weekend. Uh-huh. And so they saw the the flood of people that yeah. I don't I I mean that figure literally figuratively the flood of people who were already coming in. Yeah. And so then he said, um he said, So what are you doing now? And I said, Well I'm taking people's names and giving them a number. And he said, So you went from doing and then he renamed everything that I had said. Uh-huh. He says, Do you still get paid the same? And I said, why are you asking me these questions? He goes, he says, he said, do you still get paid the same? And I said, yes. He says, so you went from doing this to taking people's names and giving them a number. Uh-huh. And he goes, but I have a question, mom. Are you being nice to them? Are you being kind? Mm. And I was like, wow. 
I went back to that desk Uh with a totally different perspective. Yeah. Because that compassion was needed for those people who lost everything. I know, yeah. Who lost everything. And then we can get enveloped in what am I supposed to do and Mm -hmm. how am I going to grow my career and how am I going to... When sometimes we just need to just take that pause. Wow. Because because a smiling face or somebody being kind to them could mean the world to them at that moment because they lost everything. Yeah. Wow. And the interesting thing is, is that I, that, that some of those people became colleagues, the ones who worked at Catholic Charities in New Orleans Mm -hmm. became our colleagues. And they would say, I remember that you were the first person who was kind to me. And I was like, wow, wow. I did, you don't, the, the impact of kindness, yeah. compassion, dignity, respect goes so, goes so much further because this work is not just today. This is not just serving people today in their immediate needs, but it's legacy work. Because whatever it is that we get to do with the people that we serve at Catholic Charities mm-hmm. goes from generation to generation. Yeah, to you're generation. planting those seeds. Yeah, that yeah. little mustard seed. Absolutely. That little mustard seed. But anyhow. And uh, the person who is the executive director at um, Texas Catholic Conference of Bishops, Jennifer Carr Allman, was the person who brought so many people together, so many leaders together during that period to help us get through that that phase of Catholic Charities. Wow. Service to others. And so from that, then, you know, then came Harvey. Mm. So the things, the tools that we learned from the experience with Hurricane Katrina carried forth to our services with Harvey. If somebody wants to, you know, they want to volunteer, how do they, they get in touch with y'all? So our um, website is super easy. It's catholiccharities.org. And on our website, we have a volunteer opportunity. They can sign in digitally. And uh, and then just they can either sign in with their corporate groups as an individual, as a parish group. If we have um, confirmation students who want to do something for service hours. Service hours, yes. Yes, uh-huh. we can do that as well. That's great. And if, yeah. if they want to donate, it's the same thing. Absolutely. Catholiccharities.org. Catholiccharities.org. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for all the work that you do. I mean, Thank wow. Uh, everything that you've been through, you yeah. know. Do, do you think sometimes what would have happened if you decided not to take that receptionist job and, you know, where where you where your life would have led you as well? Well, when I left that when I left that job, I'll tell you something else that happened with Mary after I left that job and I started working with Catholic Charities. Um, she was still at City Hall for meetings mm-hmm. and that. So uh, the Texas Catholic Conference of Bishops had uh, identified that a lot of people were being affected by payday lending institutions. And so oh, there was legislation yes. that wasn't passing. And so uh, the local community started to take leadership of it and said, you know what, this is an injustice. Yeah. This is for our Catholic, our, even our catechesis, there's usury in, in, with all of that. Yeah. 
Um, and so then we said, okay. So we came together. There was this group called One Voice Houston. Catholic Charities was part of that group. And um, and so then there was legislation on the at the local level, at the municipal level, that said, you know, there's some injustices and we need to make some modifications so that uh, we do believe in free enterprise, of course. Mm-hmm. However, whenever someone is paying 700% yeah. interest— that's an injustice. Yes. So, um, so then, anyhow, so there was some legislation that was passed here in Houston or in Houston. Um, my boss, my former boss, stood on the other side of the seal that's in the lobby at City Hall, uh-huh. crossed her arms, and there's cameras everywhere because there was a press conference mm-hmm. when once this once this piece passed, and she smiled and she gave me a thumbs up. So she got to see, you know. Although I left what uh-huh. I was doing for the private sector yeah. and then doing this work at the with Catholic Charities, it's just, you know, it's full circle. Just like, yeah. Just this full circle moment. Was that the moment where you said, Yep, I made the right decision? She <sighs> she confirmed that yes. This 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 mentor of mine is mm-hmm. saying, Yes, great job. Yeah. This is what you're supposed yeah. to do. Yeah. Fantastic. She was the first one of the first um people, I guess, who died from COVID. Mm. And uh, so, yeah. So it's just, you know, I just, I'm grateful for having had those, all of those experiences, because when you get to be, I don't know, I want to say this, this age, Uh uh, this gray hair, um, and then, you know, these fine lines that get deeper all the time, but this, but your heart gets richer. The experience become more um, more profound. And then for me personally, and I don't know how many, you know, I think that it's, it's probably for a lot of people, your faith gets deeper. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then just to take a rearview mirror moment um, and then say, thank you. Thank you, God. What would you say to a young person who's, who's thinking of, you know, wants to help their community, but doesn't know how to go about it. What would you, what advice would you give them if they're thinking of volunteering Catholic charities, but they're hesitant? You know, I think that there is a lot of hesitation whenever you're younger because you don't know until you take that moment and say, you know, I'm just going to try it out. Uh You know, just test the waters. It's a safe environment. Every you know, we all have to do the the safe environment in that in that. So, yeah, it would be a great experience. Uh, any opportunity to learn, to do something that that calls you to your faith, mm-hmm. that calls you to action, that calls you to roll up your sleeves and say, "Yes, I'm doing this." Not just for. I mean, you know, and then plus a lot of kids need service hours anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be real. So that's the practicality of it. Yeah. You know, I can all, do all the faith things, uh-huh. but the practicality of just being able to roll up your sleeves. Even the Texas, Houston Texans have come to volunteer with us. What What so. about uh, somebody who's not um, not Catholic, but sees the work that you do and wants yeah. to help out? Actually, we do have a lot of volunteers who are not Catholic. Mm. We've even had atheists who volunteered with us, and they're like, you know, you think that they don't believe in something, but they're like, wow, you know, wow, you 
do this work. We have people who come to us through food drives and we're able to, even during COVID, uh, tell people. And so it's, it's something that gives you just absolute joy to be able to do something for someone else. Thank you so much for everything that you and your, you know, your office does for our community. God bless you on all the work that you do. Thank you. Thank you. It's, um, it is truly a blessing.